What up, what up, what up? It is your boy, Jay Crawford, back at you with another edition of Excuse My Bias, NBA edition, NBA Finals edition. We still got the NBA Finals going on. I know a lot of you guys thought after uh, <laughs> game four there on Friday that, hell, we wouldn't have any more NBA talk after Monday, at least not regarding the Finals. Uh, but we do though, so we're definitely going to catch up on a crazy game five. Um, of course, going to definitely get into the Kevin Durant situation there. Um, NBA offseason is, is it's not even the offseason yet, but the pre offseason, if you will, has gotten off to a great start there, man. There's a lot of talks with Anthony Davis and the Lakers been going on Anthony Davis's uh agent Rich Paul who's also LeBron's agent you know he's sending out the message to Boston to say hey don't even try it don't even put a deal together you're pretty much gonna be wasting your assets because he's not going to sign back there in the summer anyway uh doesn't seem to be scaring them off they look like they're still trying to put together a deal um so we're gonna jump into that a little bit there as well um going into that so just a few things that we're probably going to jump into before we get into um, the NBA Finals there. Kind of wanted to start with some of the, uh, not late breaking news, but the latest breaking news there. Um, and I guess we'll jump into Kevin Durant. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about the game uh, in a minute, but we'll, we'll get into Kevin Durant first. Um, kind of the latest news of what's been going on with him, and then I'll kind of give my thoughts on um, you know, if he should have played or not. There's been a lot of back and forth, uh, especially on first take. With Jalen Rose being very poignant with saying that he shouldn't have played there at all. Stephen A defending his position on saying he should have played. I'll give my opinion in a moment. Um, but what did come down today is that KD did, uh, well, he didn't announce, but through his people, he basically said that opting into his deal with Golden State is a last resort there for him. And that's not a big surprise. I don't don't get that confused with saying that he's going to leave Golden State. He has he has a, a player option this year coming up. So he has the option to either opt into the deal and just accept that last year and then be a free agent next year. Or he has the option to opt out, but he still could sign a brand new deal with Golden State. So let's not get those two things confused. He didn't say that he was leaving Golden State. He's just saying that he's most likely still going to opt out. I think the only hesitation that he has right now, because everybody kind of thought that was a foregone conclusion before this injury. And that's the only reason that this this is even news that he's saying opting in will be a last resort. Because everybody knew that was you know everybody knew that from the get-go. They've been talking about his free agency all year long so of course opting in wasn't part of his cards there but because of the injury which he did announce today on his instagram in a very uh long post there it actually was a pretty a really dope post like i said i'm not the biggest kd fan but i'm a huge basketball fan i love his game i think he's a good guy at heart too i think he's just um i think he's just a product of you know the 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 current nba players and how you know, the media and the pressure from the 
uh, from society could just make guys do certain things to seek validation, you know, which is why he ultimately went to Golden State in the first place, even after losing to them, is he sought out the validation and said, I just wanted to be a champion, you know, at any cost. And, you know, I was tired of being second fiddle there. And this isn't the old days where we're just going to wait our turn type shit. You know, back in the old days, that's what it was. It was pretty much wait your turn. You know, we'll just stick with what we got, keep grudging through. And eventually, once we get there, whether I just get one or I get two or three, as long as I get one, that's fine. Even if I didn't get one, I went down like a soldier trying to do that with my team. That that's kind of an old school. Well, it's not kind of. It is. That's an old school way of thinking. Uh, some fans, especially older fans, still subscribe to that now. Even some fans my age. Um, I don't really, you know. I and but I understand people who do. But you got to kind of understand the players from the '90s and the '80s or whatever who thought like that. Kind of understand the players that they grew up emulating and who they were fascinated by who inspired them to play a lot of the players who played in the 80s and even into the 90s they weren't they were inspired to play their favorite players weren't always the guys who were the greatest champions even dr j he has his three championships his two with the aba one with the nba but even dr j when he was guy's favorite player it wasn't because he was this great winner it was because of his style, his grace, how he handled himself on and off the court, the way that he played the game, the skill set that he brought to the game. Those were the biggest things. Yes, a lot of guys, you know, if you don't believe me, go to YouTube and just research and just look up, you know, any player from the 80s or any player from the 90s who played that the majority of their career during that time frame, especially in the early part of the 90s and the entire 80s. Most of those guys would tell you their favorite players were George Gervin. You know, and and Connie Hawkins and, you know, guys who were stylistically pleasing to the eye. You know, guys who had a certain flair and they had a certain skill set. It wasn't that they were just enamored with guys who won championships. If you really remember in the 70s, a lot of the teams that won championships had big men. You know, Bill Walton won in 77. Willis Reed obviously won with the Knicks with the bad leg. Kareem won with Milwaukee, you know, Boston was still winning with, uh, you know, Havlicek, even Russell in some of the earlier years. So winners, if you, you know what I'm saying, if you were a child during the 70s there, which means you probably got to the league in the 80s, maybe the uh, early 90s, your favorite players weren't the guys winning championships because unless you were a big guy and you liked the big guys because most of the big guys were the guys who were winning championships. Most of the guys' favorite players were the small guys who were athletic, who were, you know, Urban Rowe, because he could shake guys up. He had the, the, the sweet spin move, Black Jesus. These were guys' favorite players. So in that era, that's what those guys grew up idolizing was the skill set, the style, all of that. So when they got to play in the 80s and the 90s, to be honest, like, don't get me wrong, of course they wanted to win NBA championships. They wanted to win those desperately, more than anything. But at the same time it wouldn't kill them if they didn't because like i said their favorite players the guys that inspired them the guys that they idolized weren't great champions themselves so it wasn't it didn't kill them really 
not to win championships. I'm not going to say they didn't kill them. Of course, they felt it. They really wanted to get it. But the guys in today's era, we grew up watching Jordan. Even guys a little bit old, a little bit older, they grew up watching Magic. So in the 80s, that's when David Stern came around and he started pr- to promoting winning. First, it was winning teams, winning franchises when he had the Lakers and the Celtics. You had a West Coast team, an East Coast team, a black team, a white team. And you could promote winning through those guys. You had two main forces, a black guy and a white guy. And you could promote winning through those two guys. Once that started to deteriorate and guys got older and they wanted to expand the league to get more revenue, they said, hey, we can't go with the model of just two teams anymore. The league is going to get watered down. It's not going to be as condensed anymore. So now we need to focus on individual guys. And that's when they lifted up Michael Jordan there when he started winning. So when he started winning, he started to be projected as the ultimate winner, even though he never won nearly as many championships as Russell or any of the Celtics players previously. But they projected him as the ultimate winner because that's how they wanted to market the league. Fast forward that to the players today who watch Jordan, who watch Magic, Bird, Isaiah, all of those guys. The players who are playing now, they're more influenced by guys who won championships. So that means they are more they're going to be more willing to say, hey, I'm not going to sit here and wait my turn and wait on my team to get better or wait for my GM to get better or wait for my coach to get better. And before you know it, I'm 30 goddamn years old or 35 years old and I still don't have a championship yet because I'm waiting on everybody else to catch up to me. Guys, now it is like, nah, the hell with that. We're going to go our own damn way and we're going to find a way to get a championship, whether I have to go somewhere else team up with somebody or invite somebody to my team regardless that's what we're going to do because you got to realize guys who like michael jordan who grew up with michael jordan things like that they watch space jam space jam just like i do i'm 33 years old i watch space jam every time it comes on tv it's one of my favorite movies growing up you think guys nowadays they want to be you know barkley and larry johnson <laughs> you know and patrick ewan mugsy bowes sean bradley they don't want to be the monsters they want to be Jordan. Jordan beat five NBA players with a, with a, with a chicken, a rabbit, a duck, a rooster, a, you know, a cockatoo. He, he beat them with a bunch of farm animals there. <laughs> and he beat five NBA professional players, supposedly, in this movie. This is what influences guys. Guys are like, I'm not going to play second fiddle. There's probably another reason why the report was a few months ago that LeBron was having trouble getting guys to join uh, the movies for the movie for Space Jam 2 is because nobody's going to sign up to be the loser. Who's going to sign up to say, I'm going to get in this movie just to lose to LeBron and a bunch of animals. <laughs> I'm going to lose to LeBron and a rabbit and a duck. Like who, why, why would you do that to your brand? How are you going to sell sneakers now later on? How are you going to get a brand when you're in a movie going to be forever immortalized as losing to LeBron not only in real life, but also in a movie. And he's playing with a damn bird, you know, and a cat that's trying to eat him. Like, that, that makes no sense. So, this is all rounding back to what I was saying about KD. Of why, like I said, I have nothing against him. But I understood his decision as far as trying to go to Golden State initially. You know, he did that to, to make sure he would get, be, be in that conversation as a champion. Because of the pressure of society. Like I said, this society grew up under 
that Michael Jordan umbrella, under that David Stern umbrella, that we're going to immortalize winning, period. So he's like, I'm going to go wherever I got to go to be a winner, period. Braun was under the same pressure like that. Definitely wasn't quite the same. Definitely wasn't the same as what KD did, but he was under the same pressure as well with that. So rounding back to what I was saying of, you know, how I felt about KD, that, that was that was kind of just a roundabout way of saying this is this is how I felt about KD and how I still feel for him even more, just like everybody else does, about this injury because it is a ruptured Achilles. It's not, you know, any other speculation. It was a rupture. He got it. He got the surgery today. Go to his Instagram page. You'll see the nice long uh, message that he wrote there, talking about his rollback starts now. You know how he has his family and friends. You know he's still deeply hurt, but he's still rooting for his guys. Which I, I truly believe he is. Like I said, you're you build a brotherhood with these guys over two or three years. You're with them all the time, with them more than your family. So I believe he does want those guys to win and root for them. But you know, I think it probably is a little bit of probably a little bit of mixed emotions there too, because even if they win without him, he knows that's gonna be more backlash. But because they're gonna say they didn't need him to win. Uh, he's always going to be a little backlash with that. But I think he bought himself a lot of goodwill with the public by going out and doing that. So even if Golden State does find a way to go out and win without him, I don't think it'll be as big of an uproar of, hey, they didn't need him to win. You know, he would, especially if he never came back, he never tried. Everybody else would have been like, hey, they didn't need him to win. He's just standing in the back. He doesn't even sit on the bench with his teammates. And it would have been a lot bigger of an issue there. But now that they've seen it here, he tried. You know, he got himself more hurt there doing it. Even if Golden State wins, and I don't think the outcry is going to be as much as, you know, them saying, you know, hey, he won without him. Or they won without him. I don't think it's going to be nearly as bad. Over time, it will probably come back around when you start to review guys' career. But I think in the immediate aftermath, it won't be as bad. But um, like I said, that was like the lead topic today of him saying that opting in will be his last resort. Not saying that he might, not saying that he would leave the Golden State Warriors, but just saying, opting into this existing contract that he has as his last resort, and that's that's probably if Golden State tells him, hey, we're not going to sign you to a max because this this injury is uncertain on how you're going to come back. So we're not even going to sign you to a super max just yet. We'll probably sign you on something smaller, so you might want to opt into this to get as much this year, and then we'll revisit this next year. Um, but I, like I said, he said that's his last resort. I think will be his very last resort as well. Because I think he still have plenty of options. There were plenty of reports saying that, you know, the Brooklyn Nets, are, the Brooklyn Nets, they're not scared off. The Knicks definitely aren't scared off. The Lakers aren't scared off. So a lot of teams are saying we'll redshirt KD for a year. We don't give a damn. He can come in as long as he comes back in. You know that that next year after fully healthy. You know I think he'll be 32 years old. As long as he comes in fully ready then, teams will be fine. Because they're like, hey, we'll get a year to kind of get everything geared up, maybe even get another star in and get them geared up. And when he's ready to go, he's ready to go, and we'll take off from there. So best wishes there to my to my guy KD. You know, definitely wish for a speedy recovery there. Definitely wanna, don't want to see what happened to him, you know, happen to any uh, NBA player there at all. But, um, yeah, you know, we'll just go ahead and put a bow on that one there. Um, well, another interesting thing that I've seen that uh, Woj had uh, reported on his Instagram page. Well, he reported on ESPN, but he posted it again on his Instagram page. And everybody know Woj is like, uh, he's Adam Schefter 
of the NBA, basically. So when Woj or Sham says something, it's pretty much, you know, <laughs> gold. You know, it, it is what it is. And Woj said something pretty interesting that he said this year in free agency could mark the end of the super team era and the NBA. And <clears throat> excuse me. He was basically saying that because he said a lot of teams, without well, a lot of teams, a lot of players are now fearful of being that third wheel, being that Chris Bosch, being that Kevin Love, being that Klay Thompson at times. Some guys even feel for being Kyrie Irving, being that second guy. Um, and what this is doing is kind of cautioning guys from doing this super team jumps anymore basically because guys are seeing that when you join these super teams you're not getting the credit that they seek and validate as a as a player period as a professional player as an nba player you play to excuse me you play to seek validation period that's the reason why you play you play to seek validation. That's why you want to win. You want to win to seek validation. Otherwise, you just play just to look fancy, cool, make some shots, go home. No, you want validation. But what they're seeing is, and, I, and maybe this has come from, <clears throat> maybe this has come from players talking with uh, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving that winning a championship doesn't validate you as much as you thought it would. And that's what I believe it is because guys in the NBA talk. We, we obviously know that. And Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving have really made it abundantly clear that, you know, especially Kevin Durant, even more so than, than Kyrie Irving, is that Kevin Durant was really looking at it like, damn, I won these titles. Is this it? Like, is this all there is to it? And they thought it would be another a more fulfilling moment there and it wasn't it wasn't as fulfilling for them um and in their case if you look at it even though Kevin Durant you could say arguably was the best player on Golden State I think you still can make an argument for Steph being the best player too just because he's the most impactful but even if you want to say Kevin Durant was the best player on Golden State you, I, I, I think deep down he knows the road to get to that championship was not as difficult as really other championships have been. And I think that's why it was not as satisfying for him when he finally got it. You, you, you know what I'm saying? Like it wasn't as satisfying for him when he finally got it. And... I think also they understand, too, that, you know, even though we play to win and winning is great, but I think players today are more aware of having a better lifestyle. So that means living where you want, having your family where you want, having yourself in position after the league to do the things that you want to do to still live a multimillionaire life where you're not, you know, blowing through money and then you're you're out of money 
you know, in a few years or stuff like that. Like what happens to a lot of players. So, oh, a lot of former players. So I think all of those things are starting to affect how guys look at free agency and just saying, well, hey, I don't, I mean, they're, they're like, hey, I know this is important, winning a championship and I know I got a chance to do that with Braun and or do it with KD, and this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, but I really want to shine. You know, I want my own validation, even if that doesn't mean winning a championship right away or really even winning a championship at all. Damian Lillard had a had a Damian Lillard had a statement similar to that where he said, "Hey, I'm not with the super team stuff." He's like, "I'm I'm cool being in Portland." Just balling out, doing what I got to do. And if guys want to come to Portland to help us win, that's fine. But I'm making my roots here. I'm making this my town. This is my team. And I'm happy with the lifestyle that I'm living. And I'm happy with how I perform on the court. Even if it means I lose to, a, you know, a more stacked team or something like that. He said, I'm, I'm still more satisfied with myself at the end of the day by just playing my heart out every single game and not being on a stacked team where I know I'm just going to win whether I play good or not. He's that, That's paraphrasing a bit, but I think that's the gist of what he's saying. And maybe that's something that's wrong with Kevin Durant, you know, in a roundabout way. Because you remember Kevin Durant and, and C.J. McCullough were going back and forth in the preseason about, you know, C.J. McCullough being mad that he went to Golden State because he's like, that just... Make gave Golden State an unfair uh, advantage, so pretty much there was there wasn't any more parity in the league anymore. And KD was just kind of like, ah, come on, man, y'all guys won't won't compete for championships anyway. You know, don't don't take it like that. I'm just out here playing basketball, trying to win championships. And CJ McCullough actually, him and Dame, their words are seem, are seeming to ring more true by the day. They're truer and truer. As you see, Portland did make it to the Western Conference Finals, you know, and even though that was a sweep, that still were four close games where Portland led throughout in three of the games. So, you know, who knows, you know, if if they could ever get back to a position like that, you know, it could be something different there. And then you have to think about think about the parity in the league because Golden State played, like I said, Portland and played the last couple of games against Houston without Kevin Durant. Think about if Kevin Durant is not there or he's in the Eastern Conference or he's on another team in the West. How does that parity now affect the league where now C.J. McCullough is right where he's saying, well, everybody will have a chance if you guys didn't stack the table like that. So and I, I think, like I said, that's ringing truer and truer because I think with Kevin Durant not being satisfied winning championships with Golden State being the finals MVP, doing all these great things. He's saying he wasn't fulfilled. Damian Lillard, on the other hand, <laughs> is not winning championships. He's losing in the first round last year. He's, you know, losing in the playoffs. But he's saying he's fulfilled. You know, on and off the court, he's getting everything that he wants. You know, he's giving out his all. He's giving everything he has to the game. And he's loving playing basketball and competing at the highest level. It's hard to compete at the highest level when you're playing on a stacked team. Because really, you're probably only going to have one or two even competitive series there. 
Yeah, so that's a big difference between going a whole juggernaut of a season, having to give your heart out, and then go a whole playoffs giving your heart out. You know, I think that's one of the reasons why when Braun won in 2016, it was a different level of emotion there. You know, he and it's not just because it was Cleveland, it was because, man, this was the hardest thing that he had to do. He had to bring all of those guys along through the entire regular season, go through the regular season in the playoffs pre, the year prior with his two best guys injured and still almost winning, falling short, and then come back again to do that. Now to not only have the team that he lost to last year come back better than they were the year before, and they're up 3-1, and he had to come back from that as well. You can just see the, you know, just the, not just the joy, but the just the, you know, I can't even think of the word right now. But he was just so, so excited and just so over the top and just, just run through for motions when he won that title because it really took everything out of him. I don't think any of these other finals or, or championships that Kevin Durant has has taken anything out of him, which is probably why you haven't seen anywhere near the emotion. Like the first one, you saw a pretty good emotion because it was kind of looked like it was relief. Like, all right, finally, I got this now. Okay, cool. They would call me the best player in the world. I'm that guy. Let's get it. And then it didn't happen. <laughs> and then he came back the next year. Then he kind of got mad and said, okay, let me beat him again. I'm going to show you. And then it was like, okay, yeah, but... His second best player was Kevin Love, and, you know, he got like 16, 17 points a game, and J.R. Smith blew the first game by running the clock out, you know, tie game. So, you know what I'm saying? It's like he didn't have anybody else after that. So, even with that, it was like, yeah, LeBron's still the best player in the game, and it is what it is. And I think that's what's... What was not making Kevin Durant feel this fulfilled is he never got that unofficial title of best player in the world. And he saw that it doesn't matter whether you won the title or not. You still may not get that award of being the best player in the world. And I think that's what's going to influence him to go elsewhere and try to prove that. And, you know, whenever he gets healthy again the year after that. But back to what Woj was reporting, I think the synopsis of what I just said there is affecting other players. You got to think of guys like Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler, even though Jimmy Butler is not what you would call a tier one star in the league at all. I'm not even sure if he's a tier two star, to be honest. He might be a tier three guy. You know, I would look at tier two guys as like a Damian Lillard or something like that. You know, Jimmy might be a tier three guy, but Jimmy in his mind is just as good as everybody else in the league. So I can see a guy like Jimmy Butler being like, hey, I might be cool with coming somewhere to get a championship and just get one, but Jimmy wants his own team too. Jimmy's a guy that's going to want his own team. He's going to be, he's a guy that's going to want to be the star somewhere. And I think sometimes as fans, we overlook how much different your life is, your lifestyle is, when you are really the star of a city, the star of a town. Like, you're the man in that city. You're the man in that town. You're the man on that team. And you can get all of that validation there when they win. That, that I think, is really affecting guys, especially, like I said, seeing how, you know, their peers in 
Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving were showing that they weren't validated and they weren't fulfilled even after playing on the biggest stages and really hitting two of the biggest shots in the finals. You know what I'm saying? Kyrie's in game seven and KD's in both game threes back to back. Some of the biggest, most iconic shots in the NBA finals ever. And both of them feel like, damn, they still aren't validated there. So it could be the end of the big three era of the super team era, like Woj was saying. I'm not 100% sure on it, to be honest, because we've always had teams like that. We've always had teams that had multiple guys. The only era that we really didn't was the 90s. We That was, that was the only era. And to me, that's why that was the weakest era of basketball, you know, unless you're going to like the, you know, the 60s or something like that, where, you know, everybody basically still learning the game, being professional, stuff like that. But the 90s was the only era that you really had one star almost per team, maybe two on some. And the league was pretty watered down, you know, from 88 to um, 95. They added six teams to the league. It's a 12 man roster per team. That's 72 guys that you added to the NBA. I don't where do you get them from if they if they couldn't make the league previously when you had six less teams where do you get those other 72 players from in a six-year period now mind you back then the international players were not as good as they are now not nearly as good look at look look go back and look at those NBA dream team videos they were destroying cats by 80 and 90 points and it's not just because they were just, you know, like the guys, the superstars in the 90s were so much better than the stars now. That's just how far behind the rest of the world was back at that time. Like, go back and do your research on that. Look at how the uh, NBA, uh, I forgot what is, I forgot what the international program was called, NBA Without Borders or something like that, or NBA Overseas. It was something of that nature, but... I mean, it was a big effort there from the 90s into the early 2000s of having these, you know, Hall of Fame NBA coaches like a Hubie Brown, all these other guys going overseas to run all of these camps and all these clinics to teach these guys in Europe and overseas how to play basketball, which is why now that even though you have more teams or obviously you still have the same amount of teams, but now you have a fresh group of ready-made European players who could fill those 72 spots you know what I'm saying that were that were made open in the 90s where we didn't have them back in the 90s so back in the 90s you had to fill up those spots with CBA players go look up what the CBA is if you don't know what I'm talking about you had to fill it up with CBA players you had to fill it up with guys who spent most of their career overseas in Italy playing those were the guys in the 90s Look at look at who was the starting shooting guard for the Chicago Bulls in 1994 when Jordan retired. It was Pete Myers. Go go look up and see where he came from. He was a starting two guard. Starting now. Not off the bench. It's not like he was a G leaguer who came in and, you know what I'm saying, and, and, and worked his way up or something like that. No, he was overnight, just like that, brought in and was a starter for the Chicago Bulls. Go look up Anthony Bowie. Everybody brings up how the Bulls, how Jordan, when he came back out there, Orlando beat them 
uh, in 95, how they came back in 96 and beat uh, beat Orlando when they won 60-some games. Go look up who was checking Jordan. It was Anthony Bowie, CBA player. Go look and see after they played Orlando in 96, where was Anthony Bowie playing? He was in Italy. <laughs> so that 90s era, like I said, was the most watered-down era of the NBA. But for a lot of people, especially, you know, when the nostalgia gets to you, that's still their favorite era of the NBA because you got to see really one-on-one matchups. The game was 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 designed for one-on-one matchups there because you had a legal defense, which means you couldn't zone. So, guys, literally, you put them on an island. They will go one-on-one. NBC will promote it. This is Michael Jordan versus Clyde Drexler. And they literally could go right at each other all game. This is Charles Barkley versus Patrick Ewing. Hakeem Olajuwon, David Robinson. You could, you would, it was literally that's how it was almost like, like celebrity, uh, it was celebrity death match. If you remember that from back on MTV with the Clay Putty guys, it was almost like that. It was like celebrity death match. That's how the NBA was promoted back in the nineties. Individual players on teams going head to head and because of the rules because of you could play isolation basketball because of illegal defense guys went head to head and a lot of times like i said that became because of nostalgia that became a lot of guys especially guys my age their favorite era that's what really made them love basketball but really looking back over it when you compare it to other eras you care compare it to the 80s compared to the 2010 era because i would say even the 90s era even went a little bit into the early 2000s as well but if you really look into the later well the later mid 2000s like the 2005 ish era and and going forward you will see that's where team ball started to come back look at who won the championship there in 2004 a detroit piston team who still doesn't have a hall of famer in the league i mean hall of famer uh, on the team that was really the time when teams started going back to saying hey we're going to start building teams again we're going to stop making everything about individual players and we're going to start getting with teams again to win i'm not saying that's the start of it there because of course the sacramento kings were a good balanced team uh even that portland team you know was a good balanced team there were just a lot of old guys with steve smith and you know, uh, Scottie Pippen, those guys were a little bit over in the hill at the time. But you had guys who were starting. You had GMs, especially like Joe Dumars with Detroit, who was saying, we're going to go back to creating these teams who can beat these individuals. Because Joe Dumars remember remembered playing Jordan in the 80s and beating him as a team. And that's, that's what they ended up going back to in that mid, you know, 2000s range because then you look at the teams who won from 2004 on forward all of those teams were balanced none of those teams were super loaded even when Kobe's team came around uh in 2009 2010 he still had a load he still had a balanced team at that point but you look at Detroit was balanced 2005 was the Spurs they were balanced 2006 the Miami Heat were balanced you had Shaq Zoe Lonzo, I mean, Shaq Zoe, Antoine Walker, Gary Payton, wait, a lot of guys. 2007, you're back to the Spurs. Know their balance. 2008, the first big three that really started the era. Thanks, Danny Ainge. 
because uh, they always blame LeBron. They just leave Danny Ainge the hell out of it. But Danny Ainge is really the one who started that first big three. Balanced team. 2009, Kobe came back. He said, I got to balance my team. He came back in. Powell, Bynum, Odom. Did the same thing 2010, 2011. Dallas won. Balanced team. Then you came with Miami, continuing with the big three. So this is why I said I'm not 100% on sure. I'm not 100% with Woj that the NBA is just going to go away from the super team era altogether. I think there would just be different forms of it now. I think I think seeing two or three top 10, top 15 guys on the team, those will start to be more few and far in between. I don't think, I think guys might second question those a little bit, but I still think guys will put together some form of a big three or something like that going forward. Just because I I, I just see if too many guys start to say, hey, I'm just going to go off and get my team. I'm Katie, I'm going to go get my team. Kyrie, I'm going to go get my team. None of us are going to team up anymore. I just feel like all it's going to take is just one player to just say, bump that, it's my time to win a championship. Me and Cuz going to lean up. You, you know what I'm saying? And we're going to go ahead and make this happen. That, that's that's what I feel like is going to happen. Like I, It's beautiful what Kawhi is doing here because you can look at Toronto and say they really don't have another true star and think that, hey, this is going to be the wave going forward. Uh, I ain't so sure. <laughs> I was like, uh, I ain't so sure. It's like I said, especially when, because if everybody doesn't go along with it, it's just going to take one person to throw it off. Just like, for example, we're talking about AD, which we're going to transition right into that. Anthony Davis, they're saying there may be a trade before the draft. Where they're, they're, they're pretty sure there will be a trade before the draft because David Griffin wants to actually have a draft pick, an extra draft pick. Uh, and he wants to know where, where that draft pick is going to be so he can already start do, planning out his board. He's obviously going to get Zion first, but... He probably is going to get the Lakers' fourth pick if the Lakers do the deal. And then he wants to add in a third team to get a star from that team. So, for example, let's say, um, I don't think Phoenix would do it, but let's just say just for the sake of an uh, easy discussion, let's just say Phoenix parts with Devin Booker. And yeah, Phoenix just said, hey, send us Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball for Devin Booker and they send they send Lonzo and Ingram to Phoenix Devin Booker goes to LA but Devin Booker is going with the deal for AD along with the fourth pick and maybe say Josh Hart or something like that to New Orleans for AD and that's how you're going to execute the three team the three team deal so because that's what Griffin wants Griffin wants a star or a potential star and another good player and a draft pick and he doesn't feel like L.A. can offer a star. And he's not sold on the, their young guys being potential stars. So he wants another guy who he feels more comfortable with, with being a star or a potential star, to go with the fourth pick and then maybe an extra guy from L.A. And then he's going to send A.D. over. I, I, honestly, I, I think L.A. at this point, because I think they know in free agency they could have a hard time signing somebody because of all the issues that they're having. And it may be best just to trade for somebody so you can force them in-house and then have Braun build that bond and relationship with them from then on and then hope that they'll be good. 
So and and that might actually help their free agency, you know, because say if you can get that deal done with AD, now now the situation looks completely different to Kyrie. Now now Kyrie, even though he looks like he's set on Brooklyn, maybe he'd be like ah, AD and Braun there in LA, that might be too much to pass up, or Kimba, who who can say I can stay in Charlotte forever and get all this money because they're just gonna max me out, they're gonna pay me more than anybody. But he's like, I could be in Hollywood and be on the big stage and win a championship and go play with AD and Braun. So those, those are some things right there. That's why I said I'm not so so keen on Woe saying that the super team era is going to be done. I get this, the, the, the seedings of what he was saying. I just don't know if it's going to be done completely. And um, I think a deal with AD is going to happen sooner rather than later. Because like I said, David Griffin is a very professional executive and he likes to get things done in a timely manner um and he he definitely wants to be prepared for the draft so if he knows he's getting zion one if he's getting la's fourth pick he really wants to know okay who the hell is going to be left on the board especially if rj and uh john moran is already gone with the two and three picks respectively he wants to know who's going to be there at the number four that he wants whether it be cam reddish you know it could be a number of guys who knows um, or if maybe he wants to package that up with somebody to trade back, you know, and maybe get some more pieces to go around guys. And then maybe he still get the guy that he wants later on in the draft, you know, like that too. So either way, I think a deal is going to happen sooner than later. Um, I don't think Boston will have enough of the assets. Kyrie did say he does. He is, uh, going to opt out, uh, through his people. It's not official of course, but I, he pretty much said to his people, he's going to opt out as well. Like I said, that doesn't mean he, he can't go back to Boston. That's just saying that he's going to opt out to sign a new contract, whether it's with Boston or somebody else. But I think the, the bridge in Boston is pretty burnt. I don't see that happening at all. I think that's a very small chance of that happening. So it really like it's really looking like the ball is in L.A.'s court. And at this time, nobody in the NBA may not be happier than LeBron James. And that's kind of crazy to say after everything that just happened with the Lakers, with Magic and everybody going. But if you think about, hey, KD's not going to be in the league next year, most likely. There could be a wide open spot there for LeBron and the Lakers. Whether they get AD or not, really, at this point. Because even if they could just get a free agent or make another trade for like a Bradley Bill or somebody. With having Golden State not have Kevin Durant, even though I think they're still going to be great. I think LeBron takes his chances there with them without Kevin Durant. And he's looking at a wide open NBA. Unless somebody else teams up like a Kyrie and a KD or something like that. Or Kawhi and somebody somebody of that nature. But like I said, even with KD, he's going to be hurt next year. So even if you plan to pair KD with somebody, he's not going to be there next year anyway. So unless Kawhi pairs up with somebody, because, you know, we haven't heard of the combination of Kawhi and Kyrie or anything like that. But unless he pairs up with somebody, I mean, it could leave Braun in a great position, a great position to go ahead and get one more ring there, sneak that out, and then we'll just see where we go from there. Um, but, yeah, that would just catch you up on some of today's news there uh, that just happened there. Going to go ahead and get into the NBA Finals there. Um Man, we had a great game there. I'm going to try not to take too much time on it there today. You guys stuck with me through a lot of the news there. Um, my my thoughts on Kevin Durant playing, I know that was what I let off with. 
For me, I thought, I'm not mad at Kevin Durant playing, and I thought that he should have played if he was able to. My reason being, and I said this in my my previous podcast, is that I thought Golden State would use Kevin Durant just more so as a decoy and as a floor spacer because you play that Hampton 5 lineup, you can space him out on the court where Iguodala was usually spotting up at, and even if he just shoots a flat foot three-pointer or a one-legged dirt three-pointer, that's a 10 times better shot than Iguodala was shooting it wide open. So I thought they would use him in that fashion. I thought that they would probably use him in a zone fashion on defense as a back line, just protect the rim type, let's zone up front with a 3-2 and just have him and Iggy or him and Draymond on the back end uh, to try to help out and race everything like that. So he didn't really have to move laterally as much. He wouldn't have to make a quick, explosive cut or anything like that. He could just kind of just, just hang out there and just, you know, use his length to affect shots and to tip the ball away for rebounds and stuff. And even doing that would, would, would still even vulnerable for injuries, of course. But this is in my mind of how he could limit, you know, the chances of injury and limit the times that he would have to really push off of that leg and off of that calf and off of that Achilles. And you saw the first time that he really had to get down into almost a sprinter stance and, and, and push off, it snapped just right in two. Because every other play, he was able to stand up pretty much straight. Even though the three that he walked into, he was standing up. He had one that came off like a little curl. He just he was leaning over just slightly. And then the other two were just spot-up shots, what I thought he was going to do. So I was with Stephen A on that. If Like I said, if he could have played, you want to get out there and try to help your team win a championship, not just for the narrative that they need you, but also just because you're, you're, you're a basketball player. <laughs> like, you want to play basketball. And you want to win and play at the highest level there, even if it just means spotting up and being uh, using your length on defense. So that, there you go. I, I thought he should have played if he could. And it looked like he would be able to do at least a few things that I said there. It looks like he tried to go out and do a little too much for what I for my taste. And then you saw what happened. So, like I said, we're still sending our best wishes there to him. Um, but it still ended up being a great game, you know. Steph Curry was awesome that game. Klay Thompson has been on fire. I put a post on the Excuse My Bias podcast uh, social media pages, the IG and Facebook. Uh, Klay Thompson may be quietly making a case for MVP. I mean, he's averaging 25 points a game. He's shooting 50, uh, I believe 52 or 53% from uh, two-point range. And he's shooting an incredible, <laughs> an incredible 57% from three and averaging nine attempts a game. <laughs> like, he's it's ridiculous, man. Like, he's killing it right now. You know, they need to get this guy more shots. The, the problem is, like I said, he can't really create a shot at all. So he's reliant completely on, you know, other guys to set screens and get and get shots for him. But uh, he's been balling, man. But I still will go with Steph for right now. Um, you know, in the game, I saw some, some key moments there. Um... In the third quarter, you know, the Golden State Warriors did a good job in that third quarter. That third quarter really played was to a stalemate, but I'm, I'm giving Golden State a, a pat on the back for that because, you know, Golden State really, for the first time in a while, they actually um, won. <laughs> I mean, not won the third quarter, but actually were competitive in it. The last two games back in, in uh, Golden State, they were horrible in the third quarter. And that's really their quarter. And it looks like, you know, like Toronto had went out of their way 
to make sure that they won those third quarters back then. And this was the first time the Golden State was able to really combat that and at least get you um, to a stalemate right there. I, I'm not, I had to look it up to see if they actually won that quarter or not. But I know it was much, much closer than those other two games there. Um, no, it actually was a tie. It was 22 to 22. So exactly what I was stating there. Um, and that, that's why I kind of give Golden State a pat on the back for that one. And then a great close to the game. I know everybody's getting on Nick Nurse's timeout. Uh, when he kind of killed the momentum there for Toronto, which was big, because Toronto was rolling. I'm not. I'm not gonna lie to you. If I won't say, I'm not gonna lie to you and say that I wasn't nervous because Kawhi was coming down, and it just looked like they just did not have an answer to stop him at all. And like I said before, Kawhi is the best player in the league, and he's the best at stopping runs and closing out games because he knows how to get to the foul line. He knows how to get you out of position and initiate contact. But he initiates contact. He he initiates contact aggressively, and gets to the foul line, and gives himself a chance to get a three point play. Whereas you look at guys like James Harden, who's always trying to initiate contact as well. James Harden's usually the one always falling. You know, he's lifting his arms up through guys. And he's falling back. He's on the floor the whole game. You tell me, you can't even name really how many times is Kawhi even on the floor in a game. He's really never even on the floor ever. Like, he literally, he would make a little move, a quick in-and-out in move like that, and he gets you off balance. And as soon as, he's off, as soon as you're off balance, he knocks the hell out you with his shoulder and his forearm and his elbow. And the referee still has to call a foul because you're not in legal, you're not in legal guarding position. And then he's getting to the free throw line shooting 95%. Like, if you think about it, Kevon Looney got hurt on Kawhi's drive because he knocked the hell out Draymond Green and knocked him into Kevon Looney. Like, Kawhi just, just knocking these guys down like pinballs repeatedly there. So, he, he does a, a all, and that's why I give some, I got to give that credit to Popovich. I'm not saying that, you know, Popovich taught him everything, but Popovich had to teach, had to teach him how to close out games and how to understand, hey, it ain't always about making a bucket. It's just about stopping momentum and getting to the free throw line and getting points on the board. Because when the other team is rolling, they're on a 9-0 run, a 10-0 run. It's kind of like that ship uh, ride at the, at the, at the, that you see at the fair. That looks like an old pirate ship when it just swings back and forth real slow like a pendulum. That's what it's like when a team is on a, a 9-0 or 10-0 run. It's like that pendulum is going full swing now. And then when you come down on the other end with Kawhi, he goes, he bam, 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 gets you all balanced, throws that elbow into you and gets a foul. That thing slows down a little bit more. And, and, and it's, it's just natural. You got to think about it. as a player, you're in a rhythm, you're moving, your heart rate's going, your adrenaline's going. When you got to sit there on the free throw line and watch a guy shoot for, you know, 60 seconds, a minute and a half, and then you go back down and score, even if you score again and you got to go back down the court and do that all over again and sit, stand still for another minute, another two minutes, it's just like that, that pendulum is just like that. That ship at the fair, you know, that ship, that's that, that ride is just slowing down and slowing down and slowing down. And then before you know it, Kawhi, he done got to the free throw line six to eight times in the last three or four minutes. And all the momentum for, for Golden State or whoever they're playing is gone. And then he can come back down, bam, hit a three. And then you look at it like, damn, Golden State just went on a 9-0-10-0 run. And they tied? Like how? It's because he stopped. He is so great at stopping runs. And knowing how to close out guys, which was amazing how Golden State still ran it. 
ran their uh, um, offense back up and got and went on the run to close out their game with back to back to back threes uh, from Clay, then Steph, then Clay again. I just thought that was just beautiful uh, for the Splash Brothers there. And it was a great double there from Iggy. I know some people were saying, hey, did Kawhi make the, the, the right play by passing the ball? And old Kobe would have just pulled up. Kawhi did the right thing. I mean, Iggy was coming at him super aggressively. I don't even think he'd have been able to pull the ball up because you know Iggy has the best hands on defense probably in the league. Even if he would have stopped to pull the ball up with two hands, I believe Iggy swatched that right down because he's right in front of him. He has nowhere to, you know, he has no way to protect the ball. It's not like he had Iggy beat off a shoulder or, you know, he got to his hip and then he can go and pull up from there with the ball clean. Like Iggy was literally right there in front of him. So even if he tried to pull up, it's probably going to get ripped. So he said, hey, it's better to just throw it out to him and we can get a wide open shot for somebody else. Great tip by Draymond. They keep blaming Kyle Lowry, but Draymond got a uh, fingertip on the ball, and that's what made it hit the side of the backboard there. Um, it was a great game, man. Great, entertaining game. I, I, I'm rooting for a game seven, so I'm rooting for Golden State tomorrow. Um, I see a lot of people are not confident in them at all, but I, I, I actually am. I, I really, like, I, I was calling for it in my last podcast. I really want to see Cal Lowry, I mean, excuse me, Cal Lowry, Steph Curry, not Cal Lowry, so, uh, Steph Curry, Get back to more ISO ball. And I said this to some other guys other um, early in the discussion I was having is that they were making the case, hey, Steph Curry's tired. You know, he's, he's using so much energy. And this is why, and I agree with that. And this is why I said I want him to go to more ISO ball. Because you got to think about it on the offensive end. If you're Steph Curry and you run all five or six different damn screens, and the ball still ends up in Andre, Andre Iguodala's hand for a wide open three. What the hell did you do all that running for? You just exhausted yourself for nothing there, and Iggy misses a three anyway. You you did all of that for nothing. While all Kawhi does is come down, he gets a simple pick and roll, in and out dribble, drive, put his um, elbow into you, lift up, go to the free throw line. Or he bumps you off and gets a, a, a free throw line jump shot for two. He's conserving so much more energy <laughs> by just simply keeping the ball in his hands like that. It's the same thing I'm calling for for Steph. I counted Steph had five unassisted points. I mean, five unassisted shots in game uh, game number five. That number, this is my magic number for them. I need to see a minimum, I would say six minimum, because even five was pretty decent. But... I would like to see a minimum of six, but the number I would like to see is about eight unassisted shots there from Steph. Two, threes, I don't care. But at least eight of them have to be unassisted. And what that would show me is that he's being aggressive and he's getting to the basket too because he has to take a lot more of those twos. He can't just try to just make screens for threes and then when that doesn't work, he just goes and resets for another screen. No, if that doesn't work, you need to be able to get the ball you can take Van Fleet off the dribble. You can stretch him out, start running that, that screen and roll with Draymond further out from the from the basket. Start at 35 feet, right in the middle of the court. So now they can't trap you. And if they do, they're giving it to Draymond with a full head of steam. Because it's a lot different giving it to Draymond right at the three-point line where that's like 23 feet away. And his guy is waiting at the free throw line, you know, five to seven feet away. It's way different if you're giving Draymond the ball from 30 feet away. Even if that guy's waiting at the free throw line, Draymond can get ahead of steam now 
to go around him and score. And that way he can be more of a facilitator, more of a playmaker. And then also Steph, now if he splits that screen from 35 feet out, he has a whole lot of room to either pull up for a three or get to the bucket or create a shot for somebody else. So we need to see a higher usage there from Steph Curry, more dribbling, less off the ball from Steph Curry, and I got to see more unassisted shots. If he can give me that, I can see us going to game seven very easily. And if he can do that, they might even take game seven. But if he continues to do the same, just trying to play off the ball and letting Draymond just be the complete decision maker, it can be a long night. And it, it might end in Oracle there. But I'm still going to go with uh, Golden State to do it because I think Steph Curry, he did wake up a little bit there. Like I said, you remember in game four, it was only a one-day rest between game three and game four. And I think that really messed him up there. Whereas he got a full couple days rest, almost two and a half days rest between game four and game five. Played out, came out, played a great game. He's getting the same amount of rest on this time. He had the same amount of rest on game seven. So I expect a great game from Steph Curry in their last game at Oracle. And I think they're going to go ahead and take it and get us to a game seven. So this is your boy, Jay Crawford. I appreciate you guys hanging in there. Like I said, it wasn't any basketball tonight. I wanted to give you guys a full complement of NBA news and NBA sports bias talk because this is, excuse my bias, the one and only sports bias podcast show, but not the one and only because we all have biases, just different biases. Again, this is your boy, Jay Crawford. Make sure you check us out on all social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook, excuse my bias podcast, excuse my bias Facebook page, Jay Crawford for DC on Twitter, the exclusive excuse my bias NBA podcaster there. And don't forget to check out our YouTube page, Excuse My Bias, as well. We're going to give you those more NBA breakdowns, a lot of other good stuff. We've got my man, Josh, my man Josh the Prophet doing football as well on there. So make sure you guys check us out there. We're going to be giving you this info all the time. I appreciate everybody who subscribed and listened to your boy today. Until next time, you guys take care. Peace. Let's hope for a game seven. Peace.